Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Called and Caffeinated. Wow, it is really wonderful to be back with a full-length interview. I've been doing a lot of mini-sodes recently just because that's what works best for my life right now as a mom of four children with my oldest being six years old. And especially with special needs parenting, um, sleep just does not happen in this house as much as it should for any of us. So, uh, and, and work certainly, you know, doesn't happen as much either. Uh, I did just get the opportunity to come back from BCYC, which is the Benedictine Catholic Youth Conference. Michael and I, my, my little six-month-old, uh, we traveled to Benedictine in Kansas, and it was amazing. I love Atchison. It's a beautiful little town in Kansas, and the college there has such a vibrancy, and I got to speak for um, a wonderful crowd of teens who had come from all over the U.S., so that was a wonderful adventure for Michael and for me, and reminded me um, how much I love speaking and how much I do feel called to it. So my life is crazy, but I am really excited to feel a call back to speaking, at least in a little bit more of a capacity than I have been for the last two years since I became a special needs mom. So if you're interested in having me come speak at your event, I especially love to speak about discernment and about body image, um, specifically self-worth and uh, self-image and how we understand and look at ourselves as children of God. Those are my two favorite topics, but I speak on lots of other topics as well. You can go to my website, which is stacysummerow.com. I will leave a link in the show notes for that. And if you'd like to have me come speak at your event, please reach out and I would absolutely love to talk to you about traveling or speaking virtually, whichever your event needs. So that's just a little kind of aside, a little exciting call that I've felt lately from the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I just put it out there, see what comes back, and I will serve as often as I can. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, my husband and I are deep in house planning. I don't know if you guys know this, if I have, I can't even remember if I've shared this on the podcast or not, but we bought five acres and we are starting our homestead this year. We are, we, the new house plans are done. We have a wonderful builder. We are in the final stages. We should close in the loan. Oh my gosh. I, it, I don't even want to say it out loud just because it just... <laughs> Oh, I feels almost too good to be true. And it has been such a process getting to this point with the construction loan. But we are about to close on the construction loan probably in about two weeks. And then hopefully construction will begin in August, possibly July, but that's really quite, quite a stretch. Hopefully August. So please pray for us. This project has really felt so much like it has belonged to St. Joseph since we started, since even before we bought our land. St. Joseph was a huge um, intercessor for us. We prayed the St. Joseph's Cloak Novena. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes to that episode if you want to listen in and just hear, actually I think it's a YouTube video, about our journey of getting to our homestead and the many twists and turns it has taken already. But we have plans for a chapel in the attic. We have plans for a big basement where I intend to host dances and all kinds of parties in the future. And of course, our homestead, I will have a massive garden and we hope to have a milk cow and chickens and who knows what else. Anyway, here I go talking all about my life. I just feel like you and I have not sat down for coffee in a long time and I just need to update you on things. 
So that's the updates from the Summero side. Let's turn to our interview for today. It is such a joy and a pleasure to have my dear friend Shannon Whitmore, who lives like half a mile away. Her kids and my kids play together at least once a week, if not multiple times a week. We're in the same homeschooling group. We go to the same parish. She wrote the best book on body image that I have ever read, and I'll tell you all about it in the interview, of course, but I hope that this interview reaches whoever needs it because I know from personal experience that when you are in the throes of an eating disorder, you just need support and getting out of those lies is so, so difficult. So if you have someone who you think needs to hear this this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could share it with them. And if you have someone in your life suffering from an eating disorder, or if Satan is attacking you with his lies, know that I am just, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your loved ones. It is a hard battle, but I feel so blessed that God has really delivered me from those those struggles. All right, let us get to my interview with Shannon Whitmore, author of See Yourself As God Does. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. It came so far. Thank I you. know. I had, it was such a far drive. I feel so confused. I know. I know. For those who have not yet um, seen my interview with Shannon's husband, Dr. Andrew Whitmore, they live like a mile from us. We can walk to each other's houses. Um, and yeah, so Shannon, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm honored that you actually got a beverage. I did. Well, you say get a beverage, and I'm like, well, because you're not a coffee drinker. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm not a hot beverage person. What is this show coming to? I know. Your husband is a hot beverage. At least I brought something tasty. True. You brought water. <laughs> Actually, I gave him water. <laughs> he didn't even bring his own. <laughs> he did not even commit. <laughs> but he did drink it out of a Christendom mug. So that was cool. Yes, I did notice that. Yeah. He's got to represent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've been so excited for like, what, a year now? We've been talking about having you on my show. Right. Yes, it's been such a long time coming, but now we're finally here. Here we are, and you are the author of See Yourself. Let me see if I can get the title right. I'm gonna get the title right. See, see Yourself as God Does. Yeah. And what's the subtitle? Understanding Holy Body Image Using Catholic Scripture. Yes. This is, oh my gosh, I was so excited to read your book, and it, it, knocked my socks off. I almost said it blew my socks off. And <laughs> I was like, that's not the right, people don't say that, Stacey. It knocked my socks off because it was, I was expecting it to be good. And I know it's a very needed topic, but it was really, 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 really good. And it's definitely a resource I will be recommending for women who come to my talks on self-image and want further resources, um, something I'm quite passionate about. So we have a lot to talk about, but um, tell us how it's going and where we can find your book. So you can find my book at uh, www.ascensionpress.com slash see yourself as God does. Mm -hmm. um, and it has just been such a, an amazing journey. I mean, this has yeah. been something that I wanted to write for a decade. Amazing. And, you know, motherhood kind of put everything, you know, to the side. As it does for but, um, a season. Yeah, for a season. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, it was something that I had always kind of thought about. I Like, I had already felt passionate about just how the theology of the body had impacted my own life. Mm. And I wasn't sure if I was the only person who felt that way. And then this all started when a few years ago, I was invited to speak to a group of uh, high school and college kids. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about Mary. Mm -hmm. And um, towards the end, one of the girls raises her hand and she's like, so this is kind of a weird question, but it's something that I've thought about and I don't really know the answer. She's like, did Mary have stretch marks? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I really want to say no because I hate stretch marks and I hate my stretch marks. Yeah. And I spent so much time agonizing over it. Mm. But then we ended up talking about like Mary and her immaculate conception and how that impacted her pregnancy, her childbirth, her body. And um, the more I talked about it and I kind of shared a little bit about my personal experience, you can just mm. see the girls, you know, they start leaning forward and they're like really taking in everything I'm saying. And I, I realize in that room of you know 30 girls, 25 of them were leaning forward, like needing, wanting it at that moment. Yeah. And I know, I remember when I was going through the whole process, the journey, um, you know, I never felt like I could find a book that really spoke to me the way that I needed to be spoken to. Absolutely. And so, yeah. <laughs> and that begs the deeper question of, you know, if Mary had stretch marks, were they flaws? Yes. And then does, what does God consider to be a flaw versus, you know, a badge of honor? I've heard stretch marks described that way as a badge of honor, which mm -hmm. I think is absolutely true. But would, yeah, would, it does, and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, right? And that you was know? the conclusion that I reached. And as yeah. I was talking to the girls, I was like, this just shows that I'm still, even, you know, 10 years after having gone through, you know, an eating disorder, it's still something that's kind of always there in the background. Mm -hmm. And there's always still that temptation, you know, to think of those things as flaws rather than just marks of an experience that I went through, that Mary went through. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in the end, it doesn't take away from your beauty. In fact, it might even add to it because yeah. it's proof of what we've done giving our bodies to our children mm -hmm. and you know like they have just permanently left their mark on mm -hmm. us but I spent so much time dwelling on it I was like that's just proof that yeah you know it's still it's like the velveteen rabbit you know yeah. that story where he becomes loved and then his all his beautiful fur his velveteen is just in tatters but yeah. he's he's been loved and he's loved and been loved and that's makes him more beautiful than he was when he was shiny and new. Yeah. Well, it's my son's teddy bear. When he got it, it was white. It was a polar bear. Now it's like this off gray, but it is so loved and he, it is so beautiful to him. He, he used to carry it around everywhere. And I have one of now I love it and I'm in love with it because I see how much he loves it and it has just become more and more important. So sweet. Yeah. I yeah. I have one of those too. I still have my little bear. He comes, he's gray. <laughs> we think. Oh, so sweet. Oh, and so your book is really cool because not only does it have um, the theological side with scripture, right? But then there's also a practical side, which mm -hmm. is um, an exercise at the end of every chapter. Yes. And you had a psychologist, I believe, contribute? I did. So I had a psychologist. Her name is Julie Matson. Mm -hmm. um, so in the process, uh, you know, I wrote the book. But then, because it's kind of theologically based, they brought in a theological editor, and then because there's, you know, it was dealing with body image mm. disorders and eating disorders, they did want to bring in a psychologist to review it, and so they actually brought in Julie, that was her original awesome. position, was to actually just to edit my book. Okay. But there had always been kind of the goal of putting practical strategies to help people. Yes. And so, once she was done editing and kind of adding, you know, her just, her little pieces here and there to help, you know, flesh out my piece, mm -hmm. we realized that we had almost the same voice. Mm -hmm. And so, rather than going out and looking somewhere else to find somebody to provide the practical applications, we're like, well, let's just mm -hmm. ask Julie because she's already familiar. Yeah. It's something she's passionate about. That is her expertise. That's uh, awesome. Is you know, eating disorders, body image. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah it's been, it was amazing having her contribute as well. That's perfect because a lot of times I get asked, well, how do you go from changing your mindset from this to this? Because mm -hmm. it is, we'll talk about this more later, but it is a 
um, it is a physical problem. Mm -hmm. It is a problem in your mind and your mind needs to be trained and your habits of how you think about yourself need to be trained to, it's really, it's not just you pray your way out of this. No, it's like a whole body. Cause I mean, it's, you know, it is spiritual, but it's also emotional. Like you have to address mm -hmm. like what's going on in your head, what's causing these issues. Yes. And it's also physical. Like there are yeah. physical ramifications as well. Yes. And I mean, personally, my journey. practical side of it. Yes. I never right. had a psychologist. I, yes. well, yeah, let's, let's talk about, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the moment. Actually, this is perfect. <laughs> Cause Lena, I want, there's a key moment in your journey when mm -hmm. you started to think of yourself as um, bad or less than, or these images or these issues rather all started for you. And as I was reading it, I was like, Oh my gosh, our moment, it's similar. It's similar. Our journeys are very, it's kind of scary how similar they are. <laughs> so go, go ahead. I would love to hear like, how did it start? Um, so it started, uh, with one comment, um, in high school and a girl called me big boned. And before that moment, I, hate I that term. never I thought hate that term. my body, I hate that term. I am, at least now, especially, oh. like, I just hear it and it makes me cringe. Yeah. Um, just, and that's just because it was such a core moment in my journey. Mm -hmm. But before that, I had never thought about, about my body. I mean, people had said I was cute. They said I was pretty, but it was kind of like an all person compliment. Like it yes. was, you know, it was a combination of your outfit and just the way you present yourself. Yes. So to have something that focused so heavily on my body was just, it, it stopped, I, like, I stopped and I just, I completely changed the way I, I looked at myself mm -hmm. and I really started analyzing everything about my body. It was also just very traumatic for me because I'm a very shy person. So to have the whole class, because she said that and the whole class heard it. Oh so, like, my So to have gosh. everybody suddenly turn and focus and obviously, you know, if you say something about their body, they're obviously going to be looking at your body. So yeah. it's like all of a sudden I have this classroom of, you know, 25 girls looking at me and thinking I'm big boned or questioning, is she big boned? Yeah. And I, that, like, I know that that is the, the moment that I began to look at my body as something other than me and mm -hmm. something that I needed to change and force into kind of what I wanted it to look like. But um, for a while, nothing really changed. Um, it wasn't until I was in high uh, until I was in college that I kind of got the answer, because I tried a couple of, you know, I was an athlete in high school, so I was mm -hmm. like, all right, if I just keep exercising and working out, maybe the, like, I'll, I'll slim down and, you know, miraculously I won't be big boned again. I'll be good enough. Yeah, I'll be good enough. And so... Whatever I, that means, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, there's no end goal, right? Yeah, so no, it's, it's just good just enough. enough. Yeah. Because, you know, for a while I was like, I felt like I was too big, and then I was too small, and I was mm -hmm. too this, too that, too much, too little. Yeah. Like, there's never anything I was really aiming towards. It was just to get more or to get less, depending. To be better. To be better, yeah. And I think that's how Satan works with a lot of these things, is this very non-specific kind of like, well, if only I were just better. And it's yes. like, and that's the trap right there, because what does that even mean? There's no, there's no point. It, it's masked in the, in the, in the shape of like, uh, how your body looks, but at the same time, it, it points to who you are. He attacks at who you yeah. are. If you looked this way, then you would be better. Yeah. And a lot of times I find that it's the most objectively beautiful women like you who are, you know, very fit and very, um, ach achievers, maybe maybe people with perfectionist tendencies like I have and mm -hmm. who are most affected by this kind of thing. And, and the l people wouldn't expect someone who is objectively beautiful to be as hard on themselves. They would think, Oh, they must be so happy because they're so beautiful. And a lot of yeah. times Satan actually uses your physical attractiveness, which is often, which is your strength against you, yeah. right? Because you are a beautiful creation of God and that beauty can be attracted to people and lead it towards him. And so the devil tries to twist that. 
he's very sneaky that way. He is, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I was able to hide for so long mm -hmm. because I was able, nobody suspected anything. Mm -hmm. I, there was never anything I was, like, that was suspicious about the way that I behaved. I mean, if you saw me hiding and when you know, it was dark, it was midnight, like then you would realize that something was wrong. But like when people looked at me, they didn't think it was like, you know, she's a pretty girl. She's already thin. She exercises. She right. seems to eat well. Yeah. So like, obviously there can't be anything, you know, going on. But I think some of it is just the fact that, you know, we, we are a body soul uh, union. It, like, it's our bodies and our soul. We are embodied souls. They're completely intertwined with one another. But I think the devil come, like sometimes just whispers that like those two things are separate mm -hmm. and you can control one and manipulate it so that it's, it's something other than you. Cause yes. I know big bone comment. That's what it did for me mm -hmm. was that was the first time I viewed my body as something other than me that could be manipulated and mm -hmm. distorted and changed to fit something, you know, some idea of perfection. Cause mm -hmm. I am a perfectionist. I'm mm -hmm. Still, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Welcome to oh, <laughs> yeah. I want to uh, share my first moment, if you don't mind, okay. because I, the moments when I, there was several moments actually. Um, it was kind of, I don't remember one specific one, but I remember the essence of what was happening was mm -hmm. somebody who I respected and admired started talking badly about herself out loud in front of me and comparing herself to other women. And because I admired this person, I didn't think that there, I, I thought, oh, this is just how we talk to ourselves. Yeah. And it started to just seep into my mind that if you look this way, you are good. If you do not look this way, you are bad. And obviously like God, God creates us with different body types. Mm -hmm. We, some of us have larger hips or rib cages or smaller. And so a lot of times the, the size that you are has so much more to do with the size of your skeleton. Yeah, so much, so much less to do with your actual level of fitness. But for me, as a dancer, I was a ballerina. I fell in love with ballet at 14, but I had already hit puberty by that point. And my body's really good at, like, naturally good at ballet. Like, great turnout and flexibility. So I was in classes with girls my own age, even though I hadn't danced for anywhere near as long as they had. But I was bigger than they were yeah. because they'd been dancing since they were five, and so. To me, that that translated to, well, you're not really a good dancer. You're yeah. not really worth anything. You're not really, you know, good enough, even though you think, even though you may have the skills, mm -hmm. doesn't matter how good you are, you're still not good enough. And I, oh man, I look back now, I'm like, that was, that was 100% the work of the devil right there. Yeah. And I didn't recognize it at the time. I just thought these thoughts are true. And I didn't yeah. step outside of the thoughts. I, like you said, you were stepping outside of your body, looking at your body as something other than yourself. But in reality, you need to just step outside the thoughts, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And learn to recognize that the thoughts are not true, even though they feel true, right? And, and you're kind of looking for evidence all around you to, to support this theory that I'm not good enough. And so you're going to find it. Um, but in reality, the, you have to fight against those thoughts. So... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So just like just those like those whispers, because mm -hmm. for the longest time, I just I thought it was me coming up with all those things. And mm -hmm. but I, as time went on, I realized, no, this is really the devil who's you know whispering those thoughts in because yeah. he knows that he whispers at the core of because I think the core of every woman wants to be called beautiful. Yes. They want to be acknowledged. You are good. You are beautiful. Like you are loved. Like those are the things mm -hmm. that we all want to hear. And the devil knows exactly how to whisper his lies so that we question those core tenets that we really, really do need to believe at the very, you know, heart of who yes. we are as women. I've heard them described as paradigms. 
Yeah. The paradigm that I am good and that I am lovable and that my body is good and lovable, no matter mm. how it looks, because God has said that it is. And that's how he made it. Right. Like, I remember, it wasn't until recently, not recently, but like probably after college that I realized that like women are built differently. Like you were born, like what you were saying before, different women are built differently. Mm -hmm. And like, no matter how much you, cause like for instance, you know, my hips are, yeah, everybody's saying you're gonna have a great time when you give birth cause you have childbearing hips. And you know, it really did come to it ended up helping me eventually. <laughs> but you know, when I was young, I just, I, I just kept on trying to lose weight cause eventually like my hips will get smaller. Like it's a bone, it doesn't bone, you're not sure it's like, it be smaller. it doesn't right. work. Mm -hmm. And it was only recently that I realized that like, there's no just like cookie cutter model of like the perfect woman because we are all built differently and we're all meant to be different because yeah. you know, like we're all, we all glorify God in different ways and we're all beautiful in different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's how he designed us. And so when we go to all of this effort to make ourselves perfect, you know, like according to this cookie cutter model, whether we're picking somebody else or we've got mm -hmm. like this image in our head, we're always working against what God envisioned for us mm -hmm. because he really does know what, you know, he knew what he was doing when he created us. Yes, yes. <laughs> we might think differently, but there was never. Absolutely. There was always, I remember in my high school experience, oh, I just like my skin crawls thinking about like high school love, you know, <laughs> that, it gets better. You're a teenager <laughs> and you're watching this, it gets better. High school is so hard though. Some of my best friends came from high school. Absolute best friends came from high school, but That's awesome. I think yeah. it's because we shared those experiences together yeah. that we really came together. Yeah, it's hard. hard. And hard I years. remember there was always like one girl in my class. There was like every year there was like a different girl. And it was like, I need to be just like her. Mm -hmm. And she, for whatever reason, I would fixate on her. It was like, I needed somebody to be the disciple of almost. Yeah. And that sounds so weird, but it's that again is a total setup for failure because I'm never going to look like her. I'm never going to be like her hundred percent, mm -hmm. nor should I. And accepting your own individuality and, and how God made you, I think is at the core of everything, right? Yeah. That is the, that's the struggle. So let's talk about why is prayer not enough in this struggle? Because you wrote that in, in your book, you wrote your, your faith life deepened simultaneously your body image issues deepened and mm -hmm. I, I see this with some people they're like all right you know we're gonna we're gonna pray our way through this and yeah. if I were holy enough this is again perfectionist says he's yeah. if I were holy enough I wouldn't struggle with this I would just mm -hmm. be magically perfect my thoughts would all be perfect and there's this dichotomy there's this divide so why is prayer not enough so I mean basically prayer is just not enough because it's not a spiritual problem I mean like self-image issues, eating disorders, they're not just, because we're not just spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. We are, we have bodies too. And it's the combination of those two things that makes us human. The fact that we are a body and a soul together. Mm -hmm. And so just as the problem is both physical and emotional and mental, the healing has to be too. Yeah. So, I mean, there will be a spiritual element because there, there are those lies that come from the devil. So yes. obviously prayer is the best way to go against those lies, you know, you turn to Jesus Christ, you turn to prayer, but that's not gonna, you know, solve everything, nor is it supposed to. Yeah. Like, it's not, because that was what I was told for a while, was just, you know, pray harder and go away. You're just not praying hard enough, which just added to it, because it's like, oh, I can't even do that good enough. Right. You're like, oh, great. <laughs> I'm like, great. Now, that's another thing that I'm failing at. Yeah. Thank you. Now, with that being said, too, though, like, um, God can... God can intervene and heal you mm -hmm. with with spiritual intervention. But the way I look at that, and tell me if this is correct or not, is that's more of a gift 
Yes. Then he intervenes at the moment because you've written about, and I know I experienced these mountaintop moments mm -hmm. where you do suddenly your vision becomes clearer. And then from there, it's kind of a trickle down effect where you can heal. But those moments are, those are a gift and God wants to give them to you. But it's not like a, you know, you go up to the, dis to the soda machine dispenser and say like, okay, it's, you know, prayer is not like, like you put in a dollar and you get a soda, you know, it's yeah. not like that where you put in, you put in prayer and then magically your body image issues go away. It's, it's, it doesn't quite work in that same way. And so it is a body soul, you know, um, composite basically. Yeah. yeah. And even when I, like, I do know I've, I've met women who like, it was just like an instant, like they prayed and one day it just turned off and they never mm -hmm. had those temptations again. Mm -hmm. I think that's rare. I think that's a special grace that some women get. It's a gift that they are given, but I don't think that's the norm. Yeah. Um, because it even so, my experience. I never saw a psychologist. I didn't even realize. I didn't really even call it an eating disorder until it was over. Mm. Um, for yeah. me, I found healing in probably the place that most people say you really shouldn't find healing. Because I didn't really get healing until I married my husband. And it was seeing how Andrew loved me and loved my body mm -hmm. that I began to better appreciate how God loves me and loves my body. Mm -hmm. But I know most people would say you don't want to go find somebody else to then reflect right. that. Um, right. It's more of looking back on it. That's you weren't seeking your healing in Andrew. No, and I wasn't at all. And I, not in a codependency or whatever. No, that yeah. had never even been on my mind. But it was a combination of just Andrew loving me mm -hmm. and honestly pregnancy had a huge impact because it taught me the things that usually you would get probably from a nutritionist uh, when you know, you're working on your uh, your exercise habits, you're eating, you know, if you are diagnosed and you are working with people on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I got while I was pregnant because I I was no longer living for myself. I was living for my son. And so all of a sudden I knew I, I can't starve myself anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't run to punish myself. I need to have healthy eating, healthy um, exercise habits because there's somebody else who depends on me and it was because of the n 10 months of having John mm -hmm. inside of me that I realized like those habits formed over the course of the you know the nine months that I was pregnant awesome. and so by the time he was born they had become so ingrained in just my daily life that they really were habits that I had formed and that I was able to continue yeah. even after the fact. Yeah that's so cool I think pregnancy also is another area in which our journeys are very similar because pregnancy also I think healed me in a deeper way than I than I expected mm -hmm. because my um, my body the whole time could do this amazing thing could grow another person mm -hmm. and I had been treating it my whole life as something nice to look at yeah you know as an as an instrument for performance basically which literally performance because I was a Broadway touring performer mm -hmm. and I went to audition after audition in New York you're judged by your looks and I was mm -hmm. judging myself by my looks and so my body wasn't just for show literally <laughs> it was this function that it could perform of building another person was like oh my gosh I've been able to do this the whole time if yeah. I had known like I knew of course you know you know what pregnancy is when you're in high school but if I had known what I could do and make these incredible little people yeah. in cooperation with God and my husband I would have respected my body so much more at the time. Like it's, yeah. it's absolutely wild. It's absolutely miraculous. It doesn't yeah. like, don't just blow past that. Like that, this is like incredible what your body can do. Like this is the fact that it can do this and was given this function. Yeah. You got to meditate on that. 
And with that being said too, it's interesting, we all have different journeys, right? Um, you and I have very similar journeys in many ways, but I think it's interesting too that a lot of times the devil actually will use motherhood against a lot of women. So a lot mm -hmm. of times for women, their body image issues actually start, start when they get worse. Mom. Because maybe they were, you know, really fit and, um, you know, small before they had their children. And then after they've got stretch marks, you know, mm -hmm. there's, it's harder to find time to exercise and sometimes losing the baby weight doesn't happen very fast. And so that can lead to self-image issues. So, you know, if you're watching this and you are in that boat, like there's a whole, it's okay. I don't know. I guess I just want to say it's okay. It's like, okay. Whatever your journey is, it's okay. <laughs> this was a high school issue. You know, for me, it was college and beyond college as well as high school. And you know, if you're in your thirties or forties or whatever, and things are just starting now, like it's okay to it's be yeah. wherever you are. I say everybody has a very different journey. And no matter how old you are, women want to know that they're beautiful. They want to know that they're good, mm -hmm. that their bodies are good. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are. And also, I didn't realize until I was older just how much of a role hormones have with like your life as a woman. Like from the moment you hit puberty all the way through menopause, your life and your body is constantly changing because of the flow of the hormones in your body. It's exhausting. And I thought that was something that was purely like, you know, puberty and then they kind of like died for a while and yeah. then you just you settled into your routine. And then you got pregnant and again, you kind of got this moment. Mm -hmm. Then you hit menopause. But it's like, it's literally like all the time. All like the time. It's just like this roller coaster of, and it changes like, the way your so body is. <laughs> all of a sudden my body feels heavy. Yes. And I'm like, oh, it's yes. just that time. Literally every month. It's <laughs> like, there's like two days and it's like, oh, I look awful. And then I finally, after about two days, I figure out, no, I'm just PMSing. Okay, I'll be fine another hands. day. It's okay. Let me, um, I'm going to, let's see. I want to pull up a, a Bible verse here okay. because you have a lot of um, biblical references. Um, Draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. Therefore, put on the armor of God that you may be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to hold your ground. So stand fast with your loins girded in truth, clothed with righteousness as a breastplate, and your feet shod in readiness for the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, hold faith as a shield to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So uh, the soldier imagery is awesome. I love soldiers. I don't know if it was because I was in charge of confirmation for so many years mm -hmm. and there's such a focus on soldiers, but it's just, it, I mean, it was the motivation for keeping me, when I was in the, when I had the eating disorder, keeping me in control. But since then, I think, I feel like God has redeemed the imagery and brought it kind of more to where St. Paul is. Mm -hmm. how he refers to it because I've always viewed myself as a soldier yes so tell <laughs> us about the paradigm shift you're fighting when you had the eating disorder you're fighting the wrong battle mm -hmm. but you were still looking at yourself as a soldier I completely looked I, I remember I was wake up and I'd be like I'm gonna put on my armor I'm gonna put on my running clothes I'm gonna run these miles and I'm gonna like my need my armor for when I go to the party later so mm -hmm. that I'm not going to binge on food and just everything was, because I felt, it made me feel strong. Yeah. And the, I guess that's really, like, yeah. and I was so desperate for control 
that I think that kind of just fed into it and that was kind of that was the motivation that I used in order to continue and to you know hold on to that control um, yeah. you know, food is the enemy the, my body is the enemy, enemy. The, body, every, you know, the world is the enemy yes. all of you know the, the pretty girls are the enemy because yeah. you know, they make me question myself mm-hmm. everything is the enemy and I am the lone soldier who is fighting against all those things mm-hmm. um, there's like a moral um, it sounds like the morality of uh, food became something mm-hmm. like yeah you could, uh, it, it's hard because in you know we, we have people um, like really good Catholics who swear by paleo diet mm-hmm. and some who are you know um, seeking to eat all organic and then you know there's there's different lots of different paradigms around food yeah but for the person with body image anxiety or a tendency toward these kinds of things it can become something a moral equivalent where I know that I, my moral compass was basically like, how much should I eat today? Yes. And what did I eat today? If I ate chocolate cake, that's bad. If I ate a salad, that's good. Mm-hmm. As long as it didn't have like croutons on it, you know? It was like this, yeah, seriously, it was this keeping track, keeping score. And yeah, like you said, it was about. Yeah. I mean, that was my daily life was just like, right, how many good foods, how many bad foods, do they kind of cancel each other out? Do I need to add extra mm-hmm. in order to kind of balance things out? Yeah. And it's still like, it's definitely a paradigm that it's hard to break out of. Cause I even find with my kids, I have to remind myself, like, no, it's it's okay if they have, if you know, if we have ice cream for dessert. Like, mm-hmm. ice cream is not a bad food. Mm-hmm. Ice cream, in fact, is a very, very good food. <laughs> it's like, you know, yes. all of these things were given either to nourish us, to, and we can take pleasure in food. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. one of the things that I really needed to um, kind of latch onto in my healing process was, mm-hmm. you know, food is not just there for us to consume, to keep us alive. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why we gather around tables, and that yeah. is like the center of, you know, a family life even, is, you know, having meals and have, I mean, when I go home to my, my parents, like there's a bit, a batch of freshly baked cookies sitting there waiting to be consumed. Yeah. And we will sit around that table, you know, all night just eating and talking because it's, it's a social thing. Food mm-hmm. is also meant to be a social thing. So yeah. you can enjoy things and it doesn't have to serve this utilitarian purpose. Yes. It could actually be something that we take pleasure in. And now I kind of I try to remember that, especially like, you know, when I take my daughter and I say, let's go get ice cream and we're going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy this moment. I'm going to enjoy the flavor. I'm going to eat it mindfully that like, you know, we are having this experience together yeah. and it, it doesn't need to serve a purpose beyond that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be you know, you know, even if they're empty calories, they're never empty because I'm being filled with something. Yeah. Your husband's interview was so good. He talked about virtue being the mean between two extremes. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, we've got, you know, food is fuel and nothing else. And then on the other hand, we've got the other extreme would be food is comfort and I need yeah. food in order to feel good. And I know that I had both of them. I, I go both ways, depending on how I felt. Yes. If I had a bad day, <laughs> binge, you know, yeah. and then you know, you go back the other way the next day where it's like, no, no, I'm taking up my arms again. I'm going to go exercise for two hours before I go to a dance rehearsal that's six hours long. And so we've got kind of these two extremes. And what I realized in my journey was that when I was happiest, when I was more focused on people than on food Mm -hmm. and on relationships and who was actually sitting around the table with me, 
I was so much happier. Yeah. And I noticed like at, at, um, at weddings, I would, I would barely eat anything because I was so excited. Yeah. And I was seeing all my, in many cases, my college friends. I was really catching up with people. And then the whole night went by and I realized I didn't even finish my plate of food because I wasn't even looking at it. I never yeah, went and so got like a piece of cake from the table because I was dancing. And, and, and I started to notice like, oh, like I, I felt filled in, in one way. And so I didn't need to overeat mm -hmm. or even think about food. The, oh man, the freedom of not thinking about food was amazing. And yeah. so I started to realize that what I really needed to chase was deeper, fulfilling relationships. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can't, relationships are hard. You can't always have like perfect peace in all of your relationships, right? There's going to be moments of tension. And so it takes two to tango, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, um, it, it, you can't, it's not something you can control, but if you pursue those deeper relationships, especially with the Lord and you allow those to fill you, the secondary, um, result of that is that you're just not going to think about food as much. Yeah. And I, it's going to be in its proper order where yes. it's, it's something you enjoy, but it's not something that's at the top of your mind and you're obsessing about it all the time. Yeah. I feel like the whole time that I was struggling, I was always thinking about myself. Like not to yes. say that I was like very selfish, but like, I felt no. very selfish. Yes. Cause all I was thinking about was myself, how everything was affecting me. Yes. And it was all like very me oriented. And mm -hmm. I feel like since recovering, a lot of it has just been because like my life has become very other oriented yeah. and that's, you know, it's the relationships, it's, you know, it's marriage and family, but it's mm -hmm. also service. Like I remember when I, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that when I was at my worst was when I had the most amount of free time to just like think about it. Cause I would spend time either to control, like, right? Yeah. Cause then I could, control I could be analyzing out, everything and I can figure it all out and I can make sure how, I can figure out how to make this a perfect day. Mm -hmm. I had all of this free time to, to do that. But, you know, you don't have a ton of free time when, you know, you're married with kids and working yeah. and volunteering. You're and just eating the mac and cheese. You're like, this <laughs> yeah. is not the perfect meal right now. Chicken nuggets, mac and cheese. But we're going to eat a little bit of it because that's all we have time for. And then we're going to move on because you just, you can't focus on all of yeah. it. And like, and that's okay. And that's great. I, <laughs> yeah. I feel better when I'm thinking about other people and thinking mm -hmm. about you know, just like what's going on in, in my daily life. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah. So like, I'm, I feel like I'm less selfish as a result of, you know, having gone through this experience hundred percent, having recovered and, you know, encountered the freedom that comes with, you know, recovery. Yeah. I, I think one of the most hopeful things that I could tell people about finding a vocation, this is like separate, but also related mm -hmm. is that losing yourself, not in like a, I'm never going to have a minute to myself anymore yeah. kind of thing. But when your heart and your mind are focused more on other people than yourself, the side effects of that are healing for you. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely true for me. Having my, my children keeps me so busy. I am like, my arms are so toned from carrying my babies. <laughs> <laughs> I run around with them at the park. A lot of it, a lot of the reason that I, that I do work out and I do make time to work out and I work out while holding my baby. I yeah. have released some videos on YouTube of me <laughs> working out with, kids. with my baby. Yeah. Take them on walks. Um, and a lot of that is, is it, it's healing for me, you know, because I, I see them watching me and I have a much deeper why. And I know it's very scary as a young person for me, it was always so scary to imagine my me time getting cut way down. Mm -hmm. I used to do two hour workouts every day and it was, it was punishing. Honestly, yeah. I was, I was fighting the wrong battle. Like you, I was a soldier fighting the wrong battle. And, um, I, 
I definitely experienced that with the reduction of my personal time, I look better and I feel better somehow than when mm -hmm. I had time for these two hour workouts. You know, it's, it's insane. It is. It's surprising. I remember when I, so I briefly discerned the religious life mm -hmm. and I spent about uh, eight months in the convent. And in that time, part of the reason why I thought that I had to be called to the religious life and not marriage was because I couldn't envision giving up that much of my time to children and chasing kids around and because yeah. you know we had a very structured life and but there was time for exercise and I was able to go down every evening and work out and yeah. I was able to monitor what I was eating and eat really healthy and and you know avoid you know yeah. as much as I wanted could um, but I really thought that like, I couldn't possibly be called to marriage because that would just be too hard to maintain the life that I feel like I need yeah. And it wasn't until I kind of let go of that and let go of, you know, everything that came with the religious life and, you know, ended up getting married that I realized, like, no, this has been so freeing. Because, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I used to work out and now Felicity will be like, oh, I'm going to work out with Mama. Yay! And she'll go and she'll drag her, uh, we have one of those mats in front of the, the sink in the kitchen. Yeah. So she drags it over as her, like, yoga mat. Aww. And she sits there and she does the workouts with me. Oh, and it's a little exercise mat. She had her little exercise mat. So she's so like, and eventually she'll be like, I'm just tired, I'm gonna watch you. Oh, I'll just sit there. So, like, mind you, everything thing. changes when you start, when you have, especially a girl. Because, like, now I'm, I'm thinking about everything I say and I'm thinking about everything I do because I don't want mm -hmm. her to ever think that she's not enough. Yeah. And I want her to know that, like, you know, it's it's good to exercise, it's good to eat healthy, but it's also good mm -hmm. to enjoy the chocolate cake on occasion. Yes. And it's good to have, you know, all these different occasions. Like, sometimes you have to sacrifice and work out for some greater good, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yep. Yep. We always should be, you know, moving towards the greater good and pursuing that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means giving up the workout for the day. Yes. That used to be like agonizing. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't even envision giving it up. I have to, like, I would stay up late. I would do whatever was necessary in order to make sure that it was not sacrificed. Yeah. But now I'm like, no, I feel free to do that and to not have the, mm -hmm. you know, that guilt kind yeah. of sitting on top of me. Because your body's something to be taken care of. And so if your body needs rest rather than a workout, mm -hmm. Give your body what it needs. It's about looking at your body as a, a gift. Yes. Which actually ties in beautifully to this quote. I really wanted to read this um, during the course of the interview. Uh, this is from your book. Do you want to read it? Just this part, first part? Sure. Okay. Uh, I wanted my body to cooperate with my desires. I wanted it to be able to run for miles without tiring. I wanted it to move without jiggling. I wanted my body to be slim and toned and smooth. I wanted it to never feel hunger, to never need sustenance. I wanted it to be satisfied with only the smallest of meals and to never be tempted to eat anything except what was necessary for survival. I demanded so much of my body, but whenever I saw myself, I could only count the ways I had fallen short. The thick thighs that touched, the arm flab that seemed to hang from my bones, the curve of my abdomen. I was too much and not enough at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really resonated with that very deeply. Too much and not enough at the same time. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, it's like, makes me feel um, so sad to think that that is how I felt for so many years. Yeah. And I get this question a lot. Like I felt like I was in a very, very visceral way. Kind of my skin would crawl when I thought about like how much I hated myself. Yeah. And so how, okay. So in your book, you talked about the sacrament of the body and how it helped you restore communion with yourself. Mm -hmm. So can you break that down for us? Cause this is huge. Yeah. So this was, 
entertaining the idea that my body was a sacrament was probably one of the most life-changing things that I gathered um, from my time at the John Paul II Institute. So that's something that John Paul II talks about in his theology of the body, the idea that our body is a sacrament of the person. Mm -hmm. So if you think of just the sacraments in the church, you know, it's a an outward sign of an invisible reality. So it's something that makes it present. So, you know, when you are washed in the waters of baptism, your sins are actually forgiven. Mm -hmm. You know, the water physically is being is being poured on you, but it, there's a spiritual reality that you cannot see that is being made present through the through the water. You know, we take olive oil that's been blessed and it actually can make, you know, it can confirm you in the Holy Spirit. It can make a priest, it can heal. You know, you can you, we take bread and wine and it becomes Jesus' body and blood. These are all outward signs of something that we cannot see. And the body is a sacrament as well because it makes the person present. You can't see our souls. We are, you know, we are body and soul together um, as a union mm -hmm. and our soul is invisible. It's, you know, it's spiritual. It cannot be seen. It cannot be touched. And, but our body makes it present. And that's why, you know, we, everything is communicated through our bodies. We use, you know, we use body language. We, um, you know, it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Yes. Uh, it's, you know, like so much of it comes through. It allows us everything. to experience everything. That's how we experience Literally everything, everything that we experience. Which is one of the most beautiful things about Catholicism because it recognizes that we are, you know, sensual beings. We experience life through the senses, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, like we go into a church and like there's incense and bells and, you know, taste and all those things. Mm -hmm. it, it fills all of our senses up because that's how we experience the world and that's how we're experienced. You know, we yes. experience, it's, you know, it's, it goes both ways. We take in things, but we are also taken in by other people yes. through our bodies, because it's our bodies that allow us to do that, to express ourselves, to express our innermost desires, to, you know, everything as simple as, you know, smiling and hugging, all of those communicate something that goes much deeper than the actual physical. Mm -hmm. um, but it reminds us that our bodies are ours. Like, we are our bodies. It's not just mm -hmm. something that we have, it's something that we are. Like they're so intimately connected that you usually just can't separate them. They're not something that you can take out and kind of view as something other than yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we're not fully human, Like even when we're after we die and our, you know, our bodies are here and our souls go to heaven, like we will not be full complete until the resurrection of the body, because we need our bodies to be fully human. And the body that we get at the end of you know, at the end of time, is going to be the body we have now. It'll be different. It'll be perfected. It will be, you know, it, it'll be different, but it'll be ours. It'll be the one that God created because he created it for that entire journey, not yeah. just for the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I think we kind of forget the fact that like our body is, it's part of who we are mm -hmm. and it's central to our being human. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we are going to have forever. Mm -hmm. It's not just this temporary thing that, you know, we're going to you know, we can, we can lose eventually. Yeah. And the God of the universe who created everything, who is omnipotent, omnipresent, everything, considers our bodies worthy of being united to him mm -hmm. in Holy Communion. Yeah. That's huge. He, he <laughs> took on a body, but it's not like, well, Jesus had the perfect body, and but I am dirty. I am awful. His body wanted to be united with ours and it is in holy communion like the yeah. substance of his body is coming into ours and we are we like th that's that's why he came down from heaven like we are heaven for him to be united to when we are united with him that is heaven for him 
Yeah, I mean, we are drawn is, into his body, wild. which obviously means he can't have a problem with it. If this yeah. was always, and that was always a plan. Like when God created us, we were made in the image of the invisible God, mm. but we were made in the image of Christ, who is God made man. Yeah. So obviously God can't have a problem with bodies because you know, the second person of the Trinity actually became man, took on a body, yeah. and he kept that body even. You know, Mary kept her body. Like that was always kind of the end goal and it's just a beautiful reminder that at its core, you know, sin obviously has had, as we all know, has had its impact, but mm -hmm. at its core, the body was created good. Yeah. It was created as something that, you know, that's, that's who we are. And God went so far as to become man himself to make sure that we realize that like, mm -hmm. this is, it's good. It is, it is very good. <laughs> it's very good. I know from my journey and I encounter this a lot, there's that feeling of, but I just don't feel like I am good, right? Yeah. <laughs> crossing that, crossing that bridge into, I know this intellectually, but I struggle to accept it. Um, you talk about surrender. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to pause the camera again in a second. This is silly how this works with my camera. You know, if you want to become a member of my Patreon community and fund a better camera, <laughs> then, I don't, then I don't have to pause every 12 and a half minutes. But let's let's just real quick before I have to pause, um, let's talk about surrender in relation to this entire journey. Because it's changing how you feel and how you mm -hmm. think about yourself. There's the intellectual piece, there's the physical piece of healing through you know psychological intervention. There's also a prayer component. But that's also, like we said, not going to, we can't rely on that to be the one thing that's going to heal us. Yeah. And then there's surrender. That's part of the spiritual component, I think. And, and it's kind of like um, uh, AA, right? Yeah. Anonymous. <laughs> the, the process of, of actually giving up. So how did that go for you? What was that surrender piece So I like? feel like surrender has always been a big, because I feel like surrender is the opposite of pride. Like so much of my eating disorder and my issues were all about pride and control, and right? Control, Cause control. I thought I knew better and I thought mm -hmm. what I was doing was better. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of healing and so much of my life in general, um, any, with anything has been, I just need to surrender because there's somebody who knows better than I do what I need and what is going to make me happy and what is going to fulfill me. Yeah. So like a lot of my journey has been surrounded because I'm, so I'm just a very anxious person. So I like to try to be in control, which was, you that never know that about you. <laughs> I've known you for all I'm a now. really type A person and I like control. And that's mm. why I take charge of everything. <laughs> we all love it. like, Shannon, will you just organize this for our group? And she's like, I will. I will. She does I a great will. job with it. Yes, I like being in control, which yeah. you know, in some ways is it's good. Somebody yeah. needs to be the leader, and I need to take that role. But in other places, like it, it has become, it, it's an issue because yeah. some of it is driven by anxiety. Because mm -hmm. I need to be in control, and I need to hold on to these things. I need to do these things myself because I don't trust anybody else to do them. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's other people. I don't trust other people to do this. Yeah. Or, and sometimes it's God. I don't trust God to take care of this. And so yeah. I have to take care of it myself. Yeah. And so, so much of my healing has just been letting go and letting God work as he needs to in my life at different places. And sometimes that really just meant waiting and waiting to see how God is going to work. And sometimes it meant, you know, if I would get those thoughts, I'd have to say, no, those are not 
from God. Those are from the devil. Mm -hmm. I give those over. I let them go. They are not, you know, he does not have the final word. Like he is not, he did not win. You know, God has already won. And now I need to let that play out in my life. Mm -hmm. And if that means surrendering, even when I don't feel like it, when I would rather listen to the lies because those are the lies that I've heard for so long and I'm so used to it and they sound like my voice almost. And they're kind of addictive. And they're kind of addictive. Because, you know, there there were times where, like, I liked the field control. I liked, you know, after a really intense workout, stepping on the scale and being like, yeah, I did exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, like, if I would starve myself, I felt in control and I would get that high. Yeah. And I would like that. And sometimes I like the way that felt. Sometimes we like our cage. We like, do. Yeah, there were plenty of times where I'm like, I, I like... You know, I would get excited when somebody would compliment me on the street, you know, like the cat calls and like, I, I, it just, it was an affirmation that what I was doing was right. That's how I saw it. That somebody else is recognizing. Somebody else is recognizing. So hard for this. And I am now pleasing to everyone and I'm getting that recognition. Yeah. It's actually really scary to come out of your box of control and allow yourself to experience something much wider because it does become a bit comforting. Yeah. to have those parameters. I noticed that with myself as well. The thoughts, the negative thoughts, the lies were very addictive after a time because mm-hmm. that's what I knew. Yeah. And two, I couldn't, I almost couldn't imagine a life outside of the one that I had built for myself because it was so, um, relationships were scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wasn't, I was, I had a lot of friends. I had boyfriends. It, it's not that I was like hiding in my room away from people, not at all, but to be vulnerable to people was so scary. Yeah. And as long as I could keep people and things and issues separate, it was safer that way. And I could do that by making sure that I got in my two hour workout every morning and had a salad for lunch every single day. And I had a snack of carrots with barbecue sauce. I (laughs) I would dip them in barbecue sauce or honey mustard. And I'd be like thinking about, I was like so hungry after my workout, but I was like, I've got to get to 11 o'clock and then I'll have my yep. carrots with barbecue sauce. I don't know why I did that. That's so weird. I know it's weird. It's weird. Um, and then I'd have an apple for a snack and I had a diet soda every afternoon. And it was like, I had these points throughout the day and I was so locked into them that like if somebody had a birthday and they were going out to celebrate or someone was having a party or whatever, mm-hmm. I would, I would turn down the invitation because mm-hmm. I had to maintain control. I would just go to bed and I'd be so hungry. I'd say, I can't, sorry, I can't come. You know, I need to go to sleep and I would just fall asleep because I was so tired. Yeah. And it, it, it interfered. It cut off my ability to be vulnerable and to be seen. And really at the heart of it, if you're going to be in any vocation, if you're going to reach spiritual maturity, you have to be able to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. with God. And that surrender part, saying, God, how do you see me? Will you show me how you see me is key. It's so scary. It's so hard. And I promise, like, if if you're watching this, and and I'm guessing the people who are watching this and click on this are going to be the ones who need to hear this message, What's waiting for you um, is love and mercy and and the ultimate goodness that you couldn't even find anything in the world to compare to. Like God's not going to say, oh good, you came out of your shell. Now you're showing yourself to me so I can smack you down. Yeah. No, it's I've been waiting for you and my heart is, is yours. Like my whole heart is for you. Everything that I created in this world is for your enjoyment. Like it. I want you to be happy. Like a great analogy I think is like when I take my daughter out 
for ice cream. Like you talked about. Your I love ice cream. I love ice cream too. <laughs> and we have these great little like ice cream stands near us here in, in Stephen City, Virginia. And it's wonderful to take your children out for ice cream. I don't want my little daughter to be obsessing about how many calories. Mm -hmm. Like that's like actually one of the saddest things I can imagine is my one of my daughters to be obsessing about how many calories are in this thing that she's eating and to be thinking about that. I want her to be enjoying the beautiful day outside yeah. and the sunset and talking to me about whatever is on her heart and not worrying about it because I think she's just gorgeous. Yeah. And I think that about both my daughters and, and my sons as well. That's how our, our Heavenly Father sees us and that is, that's huge. Like you have to be willing to take that first step out of your cage and say, yeah show yourself to me please show me who you are and show me who i am in relationship to you and in that beautiful union is that beautiful moment of allowing your armor to come down and mm -hmm. letting god show you and then eventually you'll be fighting the right battle and he'll show you you know these thoughts these are not from me these are from the enemy this is mm -hmm. not this is not what i want you to be saying to yourself um Especially because your body really is, a, you know, it's a gift, right? Yeah. It's a gift. But that hiding, okay, so actually this ties into another thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, original sin, it really ties back to that. So give us kind of, you, you in your book, you focused a lot on the, um, the biblical text in Genesis mm -hmm. about original sin and about how Adam and Eve hid. Yeah. I, I love the fact, so I think of my kids, because like when, especially when Felicity was younger, she used to have like the little ponytail that would come out and stick out, and she, we would play hide and seek, and she would go and hide, and you could always find where she was, because her ponytail would stick out, <laughs> so she was always like, you know, she was hiding, Aww. she was really trying to hide, but she was never very good at it, yeah. because I'm her mother, and I, I would recognize her ponytail anywhere, Yes. but like, I feel like that's kind of like everybody's experience with God, it's like we all try to hide, and Adam and Eve tried to hide, like even mm -hmm. when God asked, you know, like, you know, where are you, like, he knew where they were, yeah. he was giving them the opportunity to kind of step forward, but you know, we all hide because we're ashamed, and it's better to hide in the darkness we think it's better to hide in the darkness and to step out into the light because that means that we have acknowledged. Like, yes, I had an eating disorder. I had body image issues. But, like, there was also a sense where, like, there was sinfulness in that. Like, mm. when I was making those decisions against my body, there was, I was, there was sin, and so I was ashamed. And it was appropriate that I would feel that way. Mm. But I was too afraid to kind of step out and acknowledge because I was too prideful and I was too afraid to acknowledge the fact that like I had done something wrong mm -hmm. and I needed to take responsibility for what I had done. Mm -hmm. But you know, Adam and Eve, they hid because they were ashamed of what they did. And they knew as soon as, you know, as soon as that sin was committed, everything shifted. Because Adam and Eve, like that body-soul unity, that was broken. The relationship between Adam and Eve was broken. Mm -hmm. The relationship between Adam and Eve and the world was broken. And we see how that plays out because, you know, we can feel inside like those tugs in different directions, you know, whether it's the whispers telling us that we're not good enough, we're not beautiful enough, um, you know, like our bodies and our souls don't seem to match up properly. Yeah. You can see it in the way that we interact with women with women and men with men, but also, you know, men and women together. Mm -hmm. And we can see it with the world, the way we interact with the world. I always thought the world and food was the enemy. Like I, I always yeah. saw those were the enemies. Whereas now I've realized that they were never the end. They're just as good as I am because they were all like, you know, food was created by God. The world was created by God. Yeah. It was created as a gift given to us to be experienced and enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And 
um, taken care of. Mm. But instead, you know, sin kind of came in and it distorted everything about what that original vision was that God had for both our bodies and for our, our relationships. And so when that breaking takes place, you know, our instant response is to hide because we yeah. don't want to acknowledge, and I hid so much. Um, but it's only when you kind of step out into the light and you take that first step. And it is scary. It's because vulnerability is a scary thing. And yeah. That first step when you, like, when I first admitted to everybody that I had an, had, had an eating disorder, it was really, really, it, it, it was a huge step for me. Like, it required a lot of vulnerability. There were a lot of people who approached me and were like, I never knew. I, I had no idea. But there were also a lot of people who were like, well, yeah, I would have, would have never guessed. It makes me feel comfortable to know that, like, there are other people out there like me who have been able to hide like you did because yeah. you spent so long hiding nobody recognized and I'm in the same kind I'm in the same kind of position nobody knows what's going on in my soul right now mm -hmm. but I can completely identify with what you're experiencing because I've hid and I'm I'm done I'm tired of hiding it's just, I'm, you know I'm scared to make the step but you know, I, I see what you've done and that's why I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. you know, it was really to, to share my own experience, but also to give people the courage that they need to take that first step out. And I bet nobody's came to you and was like, Oh, you're dead to me now. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Anything, vulnerability engenders vulnerability and it, it calls that out of other people, which is something that I love so much about God's plan for our struggles and even our sin. You know, St. Paul says he's, he rejoices in his sin because um, it, it really truly does call that out of other people and it, it leads to other people healing and it inspires other people to take those steps towards healing, mm -hmm. which is beautiful. You also wrote in your book about how your children kind of intentionally hide badly sometimes, mm -hmm. which I love. I love that so much. It made me laugh because my kids do the same thing where they're like, I'm up here. Oh yeah. You know? And like, there's part of our hearts that just like, we can't kill that desire to be seen. No. Like when we hide no. from God, we're playing hide and seek, but like, we, we want to be found. We're not hiding because we we don't really want him to look at us. We really do want to be seen. You can't kill that part of your heart. You can't kill that no. part of your soul, no matter how hard you try. You can try really, really hard, but yeah. It's not going to work. Core, it, does, it cannot go away. Yeah, and so as much as you try to soldier up and put your armor on, the stronger thing to do is to step out and be seen. How does God see our bodies, and why is it really important for us to step out and instead of telling him how we see our bodies, yeah. ask him, ask him for input on that, <laughs> on that viewpoint. So, um, God sees, so everything we have, everything that we are, it's all we've been given. Like we are not responsible for anything. Any, yeah, anything, it's all been given to us as a gift. You mean we're not responsible for anything like a, we're, we are not we are, a creator exactly. of anything. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. we, are we are responsible for plenty, for uh, but for our own existence, uh, we did yes. not bring ourselves into existence. We did not create our own bodies. Mm -hmm. I mean, we as women and men also, we have the ability to cooperate in that creation when we become yes. mothers and fathers, but at the core, uh, you know, we do not bring ourselves into existence. Yeah. So it is our very life, our very, our bodies, our soul, everything is given to us as a gift. And so like any gift, uh, as the receiver, we can receive it in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, if you receive a gift well, you receive, you cherish it, you take care of it, you might put it up somewhere where it won't get broken, you know, you're going to take care, it's, you're going to treat it the way that's meant to be 
treated. Yes. So like if it's a toy, you're going to play with it. If it's a food, you're going to eat it. If it's, you know, something breakable, you're going to put it to be admired. If it's a photo, it's going to go on, you know, on a wall. Mm -hmm. You're going to do with it what it is meant to do, what its actual end, you know, what its purpose is mm -hmm. for existing. Mm -hmm. And you're by doing that, you're actually showing it respect. You're in a sense loving it. You're, you're and respecting the person who gave it to you. Yes. So that's key. So when you let me just, if you just think just in general, if you give a gift and and you, like you when your kids are young, they, you can give them a certain amount of freedom and uh, <laughs> so you know we're goodbyeers. Yes, we both have little children. So like, you know there have been times where we've given my son something and he hasn't liked it and he's tossed it. Yeah. And like you know like I know he at the time he was only two or whatever. Yeah. But like it still hurt. Yeah. That he rejected my gift. Like, to or be rejected hurts. What about even, I mean, this is so relevant to our current conversation about self-image. When somebody gives you a compliment or or you give someone a compliment and they're like, no, 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 no. That hurts too. It actually is disrespectful to reject the compliment. Unless it was given insincerely. If no, you compliment someone on their looks and they're like, no, 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 no. That's rejecting. That's rejecting the gift. The gift of the yeah. compliment. It's people so think that's than... humble. Yeah, but it's no. not because God has given you. Like if you are, you know, complimented on your hair or your on anything that has been given to you as a gift, and so the appropriate, the humble response is to acknowledge it for what it is. Yeah. So the right answer is gratitude. It's to say thank you. Yeah. It's not to push off what God has given you because that's not true humility. Mm -hmm. And to say thank you and to say that's very kind of you. That's really kind of you to point that out. Yeah. Like that's so sweet of you to say so. Like that's a, such a better way to receive the gift is to actually like give one give a compliment back and to say your kindness is appreciated. And same is true with God with our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So he wants. So he. So for one, the way we receive it, the way we treat it, reflects back what we think of the person who gave it. Yes. And also affects the person who gave it. So they are. I, God is God. So it doesn't work the same way as like when a person is given a gift. But he it's, he wants your you to treat the things that you've been given the way that they deserve to be treated, and that includes our bodies. Like our bodies deserve. They have a right. They deserve to be treated with respect and love. Because which means that's, nourishing. Which means taking care of it. But nourishing. Not binging, it. Yes. Right? It's, it's that mean between finding, two Yeah, finding the mean mm -hmm. and treating it with the dignity that it demands mm -hmm. as a gift from God. Yeah. And I think it was finally rediscovering that idea. Just the idea that like our body is a gift. It's mm -hmm. something that has been given to us. And that applies to everybody, regardless of what their circumstances in life are. Like... Our body is always a gift, and it deserves to be treated mm -hmm. because that's that's what it that's the the appropriate response, mm -hmm. and that's also a our way of, of gra showing gratitude. Yeah, because that's so what be like, we're thankful. Like you didn't do a good job here. You should have made you should have made me with smaller bones. Like if yeah. so, if my child did that, you know, for me, if I'm if I gave my made a doll, gave it to my child, and she goes, well, you should have made it differently. I'd be like, are you kidding me? I, I put my heart and soul into that. That was that was my... Which God did. He yes. literally breathed his life into us yes. because he liked the... like He he created it and he saw it was good. He liked it the way it was. And, and we're going to turn around and be like, no, no, no. I know better. That's actually incredibly disrespectful. It, yeah, it's hurtful. Yeah. But, and of course, it is. But at the same time, if someone's listening to this and they're in the midst of their eating disorder and they emotionally yeah. feel this way, I don't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, now I'm... You know, I don't, I don't want to add... Yeah, don't see it as a further burden, <laughs> to be clear. Exactly. 
It's just, it's, it's an invitation to change the exactly. way that you think. An invitation to, even if you don't feel grateful for your body right now, to just begin, I, this is what I do um, when, it, this actually works for many different things in life, if you're just even feeling stressed about anything separate from body image, just to begin to thank God out loud mm -hmm. for the things that you have and the things that he has placed, the people he's placed in your life, the circumstances that are working, and also everything about yourself, even the things that you don't love. Just to say, I have legs that work, mm -hmm. I have hands that function, not everybody has those. I have eyes that work and ears that work. Thank you for those. You know, and it I'm kind of getting chills even now just just mentioning those things, like the fact that you work is a miracle, yeah. regardless of how it looks. And and to have the it is it does take humility actually to acknowledge the the gift of that. Yeah. Um, but there's a beautiful truth in it, and um, I think that I think that's a pretty good way to just start to to feel better immediately. And it's not just about you feeling better, but about aligning your mental state with the reality that yeah. you, the larger reality that you are good, you are lovable, and you are a gift. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, what is freedom from your eating disorder? What does that look like for you now? So, uh, it looks like a lot of things. I mean, so it's, in some, some things, it's just like, I, I no longer feel imprisoned to like the need to work out. You know, it's, it's not the, like, I used to be afraid when I would go home to my parents because my, my parents would always have freshly baked whatever mm -hmm. and like a whole assortment of them. I love freshly and baked whatever. I do it's too, delicious. but I can't <laughs> myself I did because they, it was like, I was afraid, I, I was literally afraid of it. Yeah. And I would, I'd have to be like consciously like aware of, of everything. Like I couldn't look at it. I couldn't like dwell on it too long because I was afraid of what I was going to do when, you know, like when the lights turned out and everybody went to bed and was I going to find myself in the kitchen again? Yeah. And it was like, so it's, so in some ways freedom has just been like, I can look at food and not be afraid anymore. Yeah. And it's like, I can really appreciate, you know, these things for what they are. You know, mm -hmm. it means being able to wear pretty clothes with and not have yeah. to worry about how they look and encouraging my daughter to wear pretty clothes and she will not wear anything but dresses and you know I just love it because she's really just her femininity is shining through every, like the very center of who she is yeah and just like being able to do that and not be constantly thinking about how it makes me look and then you know being able to sacrifice some things for greater goods like I don't have to work out every day you know if we're gonna have a play date like yeah. you know I would rather be at the play date yeah and there was a time where I didn't think that ever be true that I would ever want to actually be somewhere other than doing what I felt like I needed to be doing yeah but now I feel like I'm finally free to say yes to all of these different things like I used to have to say no to so many things because I was comfortable in my box and I, I was terrified of what it would look like to step out of it. Yeah. And now that I've stepped out of the box and it's like, there's just so much freedom in being able to say yes to so many different things and to enjoy and not to feel guilty and to just, and guess what? You didn't get fat. I know. <laughs> I feel the same way. Okay, I, that was so I was terrified that I was going to gain all this weight because I wasn't going to be, you know, like if I don't do stuff. this every day, I'm going to be fat and then I cannot be happy. But you know what? Not only am I not fat, but I have a whole lot more energy now. Like yes. I feel better in I my body. Better. I sleep better. I, you know, like I'm just everything. Like everybody is, I, know, I get more confident so now than I did even then because I'm happier. Yeah. And it kind of just like shines through in a way that I was just too tired for it to really do when I was like in the, really in the, in the midst of it. Yeah. And when, when you do start to get well and seek, you know, seek wholeness, 
you may gain some weight because your body's finally like, oh my gosh, thank God, calories. Like mm -hmm. we've been needing this, I've been needing this, I've been wanting this. Like, so you may gain weight initially, but it's going to even out in the long run. And it's the more important thing is to heal yourself mentally. And then yeah. the trickle down effect of that will be this better, more whole person, right? Yeah, it and just, happier. It's just happier. It's more holistic. Like you deserve that. You do deserve. Everybody deserves because that. God said that you do. Like He, God wants you to be happy, and He doesn't want you to be stuck in this cage. Mm -hmm. And this is what God, like God wants this freedom for you, and the devil wants the opposite. And like, who who are you gonna listen to? Like, who do you trust more? Really, I trusted mm -hmm. the devil more, honestly, I, yeah. because of the lies, and they were. Yeah, so addictive. But now I realize it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's one there's person better, there's really knows more. what I need yeah. and what will make me happiest. And yeah. that's gone. Yeah. And it's it, there's a better life waiting on the other side. It's just, there is. Yeah. I, okay. I needed, when I was in the midst and the depths of um, the hellish reality that I had created for myself, there was one friend um, who was a very good, a good, very good guy friend. And he said, you know, Stacy, I, I liked, I thought you actually looked better before you lost all that weight. Cause I lost weight very suddenly and I got a lot of validation. And mm -hmm. so then the cage closed in cause it was like, yeah. Oh, now she's super skinny and she, you know, we're all jealous of her. And so if I were to ever not have that body again, I thought oh, I'm going to lose all this, all these people who are now paying attention to me are going to leave yeah. and then when I finally started getting well and my body did gain some weight um, I needed that memory of that really good friend who in the midst of all of it said to me you know I think I really think you looked great before you lost yeah. that weight because guess what all of those people did go away and now I look back 10 years later and I'm like they were friends they were superficial friends anyway no I mean your really good friends are not going to leave regardless of how if you weigh more if you weigh less yep. like and that friend came to my wedding. We're still in touch. You know, like those, the people who, who really love you are going to, they're going to be there and they're going to rally mm -hmm. around you. And only the people who wanted something superficial anyway are going to kind of yeah fall away. So at the end of each chapter, there is a practical application, which I love. We talked about this <laughs> at the beginning of the interview. I love making it practical because it's like, yes, there's all these thoughts and all this theology and whatever, but like, how do I actually change my daily habits? Yeah. So... Julie Matson at the end of every chapter has a practical strategy for aligning your thoughts and your reality with the way that God sees you. So can you just share which, whichever one of those was your favorite? Yes, I was so grateful because she just did such a wonderful job of, of making it practical. And that was an element in my healing journey that was definitely lacking because I didn't see a psychologist. And mm -hmm. so I didn't really get a lot of those practical applications. It was kind of just stuff that I stumbled upon in my journey. Mm -hmm. But it was so valuable having her working with her mm -hmm. and my favorite was definitely in chapter two she invites you to uh, write two letters one is a letter from you to god and you can really go you know you're you're just getting at the core of how you feel about about your body about you know your relationship with it with your relationship with the world um you know you just just be completely honest and vulnerable mm -hmm. and just opening up and then writing a second letter, which is God to you and how you think God really feels about, about you and to mm -hmm. see how those two compare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one, I love it because I love to write. I mean, I'm a huge journaler. And mm -hmm. so I, like, I, that has always been kind of my way of processing things is to write them down. And I've always just 
loved, like I remember when I was in high school, you'd always get those letters, like, you know, love letters from God. And I was responsible yeah. for writing them when I became a youth minister. Oh. And those, they, they were always so touching because there was truth in them that I just couldn't see from where I was standing. Yeah. And then, but to have, to re, like, there were times where like, I would read them and like, I really feel like God is speaking to me right now. And so like, just to be invited to actually do that myself, um, you for know, yourself. for myself yeah. was just such an amazing, um, you know, just gift. And then obviously those two letters um, are my book. I mean, that's really like the core of what motivated me you know, just like the ability to be honest and open and vulnerable with people, but also to kind of share what God is really trying to speak into us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes we don't hear because of, you know, those whispers are really loud because they kind of just echo in your head and you don't always hear, you know, that still small whisper of God who's affirming what, you know, is, is true. Yeah. And so... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, it's beautiful. I read that and I was like, that is what my book was all about in the first place. That's why I wrote it. That's why I came out. Because I think one of the steps was actually to have to go and tell people, like, yes, I'm writing a book on, on body image because I had an eating disorder. And you didn't know that the whole time, yeah. which was like, you know, it was, it was hard. It was like, I had to tell my parents. Like, they were there. Mm-hmm. They watched it. They didn't know what was happening. I did a really good job of hiding it. But, you know, it did make my mom think, like, you know, go back and think, you know, what was going on at these different times, you know, during my life. And I had to be honest with, you know, Andrew's family and just, like, open up. But it's been such a rewarding Mm -hmm. experience because you feel so alone when you're going through it. You just, you can't envision the fact that, like, there are other people in the world who are experienced potentially almost the exact same thing that you're going through. Yeah, but like, absolutely. that's another lie too. It's like, cause the devil wants us to feel alone. We are made for communion. Mm-hmm. We're made to share these things. And he wants us to believe that we're the only one experiencing yeah. it so that we won't go out and seek mm-hmm. communion with other people and yes. support and help. So yeah, In, right. yeah, absolutely. In St. Ignatius's discernment of spirits, he always talks about, look at the fruits, um, look at the fruits of what you are, uh, what your actions are. And if the fruit is, is leading you towards communion, towards a stronger mm-hmm. prayer life, towards God, towards deeper relationships with other people, it's good. If those thoughts are leading you towards isolation or towards, um, uh, yeah, keeping yourself in the darkness, yeah, you know, that's the fruit of untrue paradigms, untrue thoughts. Yeah. For me, uh, I, I love the letter writing exercise too. I think that's so beautiful. And for me, a lot of my healing happened in this one beautiful moment where a, saw, a friend brought to me this um, Bible verse that I'd never read before. I didn't really read the Bible because I'm a good Catholic. You're such a good Catholic. <laughs> you see the back of church too. It's like terrible. It's terrible. I read the Bible now. I do. I read the Bible now for years, but at the time, I just heard the Bible at Mass. And yeah, we're actually open. I was not read it. Yeah. But my friend did, and um, thank God, because she brought me, I had told her about a lot of the struggles that I was going through with these untrue paradigms, and she brought me uh, Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 9. It's beautiful. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride, with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Something about that just captures something so essential about how God sees us, right? We Mm -hmm. take his breath away without even having to do anything. Yeah, it's just that they are. Yeah, I don't have to do a 60 minutes on the elliptical and finish up with weights in order to be good enough for God. And I don't have to eat a salad and only a salad every day 
to be good enough for God. There's, I actually take his breath away just with a glance of my eyes. Yeah. That's wild. That's, yes. do I see myself that way? You know, honestly, I need reminders all the time. Do you see yourself that Like, do, do we all see ourselves that way or think of ourselves that way? It totally shifted how I had been thinking of myself and how I had been judging myself. I think I started laughing and crying at the same time. And I felt like I was floating on a cloud for like weeks after that, just to understand that the whole time, this is this system of um, good, bad morality, like related to food and like making sure that I hit all these marks, like it was just fabricated and I could look at it for what it was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I hope that, I hope that helps. I hope this whole conversation helps <laughs> whoever's listening. I'm trying to think, cause there's so much to say with, with body image, right? I'm like, did we yeah. leave anything out? Did we say something that we shouldn't have said? And I think, you know, if you're in that place, please don't be afraid to start sharing with the people who are close to you. Mm -hmm. Please don't be afraid to get help. There's only good things waiting on the other side for you. And there's only, God's going to bring people who are going to affirm you and help you and want you to get better as well. Yeah. Um, would you mind just finishing up with a quote from page sure. 114 of your book? But when we starve ourselves, punish ourselves with exercise and treat our bodies like objects, we are rejecting one of the greatest gifts we've ever been given. When I really began to view my body as a gift from God to be treasured and respected, it changed everything for me. I couldn't starve myself without rejecting God's gift to me. I couldn't punish myself without ruining something that God really loved. Faced with the truth of God's love for all of me, including my body, as well as my own deep love for our Lord, I couldn't ignore the fact that when I critiqued and hated my body, I was critiquing and hating God. When I mistreated my body, I was mistreating God. When I belittled and disrespected my body, I was belittling and disrespecting God. I knew he didn't deserve to be treated like that, and neither did my body. I needed to abandon the lens of sin and learn how to see myself with the eyes of God. I needed to constantly remind myself that my body is a gift from God, and this flesh and blood that gives form to my soul, this body of mine, is the only body I will ever be given, and it is mine forever. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of your book. It's beautiful, and I'm really excited to share it with everybody who wants to read it and needs to read it. <laughs> Well, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And again, if you're interested in buying my book, you can find it at www.ascensionpress.com slash see yourself as God does. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode today. And once again, I'm going to drop a link to my website in the show notes. If you would like to reach out to me, let me know what you thought. Or um, if you want to suggest future guests, I'm also going to drop a link for my Patreon community. Twice a month we have video chats. And we have formed this beautiful community of amazing people. So I hope you will join us for those. Pledges start at just $5 a month, and they help support the ongoing provision of this unique discernment content. Finally, if you are interested in buying Catholic gifts handmade with um, a lot of care and a lot of love and prayer, my prayer candles are excellent gifts. They are beeswax, they are handmade, they have crackling wooden wicks, and they are in the most beautiful jars. Literally found out after I started making them that Anthropology sells candles in pretty much these same jars, which is pretty cool, um, and mine are, don't cost as much. So you can go to the Catholic All Year website. I will leave a link in the show notes for market.catholicallyear.com where you can purchase my beautiful candles. Stay cool, and hope your summer has started well. God bless.